Good Tuesday afternoon, guys. I'm Jerry Miller. Thank you kindly for joining us on the I Love Seville show live in downtown Charlottesville, our studio on Market Street, a hop, skip, and a jump from all the movers and shakers we call Charlottesville and in central Virginia. A lot to cover on today's show. In fact, today's news cycle is so full on the network that we have headlines that otherwise would be on the rundown, which you see on screen. Um, on a notebook in front of me that is not making um, the headlines that you're, you're reading uh, firsthand right now. For example, Cascadia, a neighborhood right across from Dardentau Park, a, a high-dollar neighborhood, um, brand-new homes, young families. The elementary students in Cascadia are on the cusp of potentially being redistricted out of Stone Robinson Elementary School. And a lot of the parents in Stone Robinson are frustrated and at, up in arms about that and are organizing and galvanizing and strategizing for, for ways to keep their, their youngsters, their kids in the elementary school that they've known and in classrooms and school settings with their friends. Redistricting is a tough aspect of a crowded and popular school system and the Admiral County public school system is crowded and it is popular. Um, despite numerous um, causes for concern. Generally, the Admiral County Public School System performs at a pretty proficient clip. Um, and as more folks move to this area with kids, you've got schools that are getting crowded very quickly, and that leads to redistricting. And no parent wants to hear the word redistrict. No kid wants to hear that they're potentially switching schools to a foreign school with, with friends that they didn't grow up with or they don't know or sit in classrooms next to them. So we're here in the Cascadia parents right across from Dardentau Park. I mean, I would bet you those homes go from start at the $500,000, $600,000 range and go up to about a million bucks, maybe a little north of a million. Those parents are quite unhappy right now. That story did not make the rundown because we have so much news on the Tuesday edition of the I Love Seville show. We're going to talk Whitehall Vineyards, currently listed for sale. I was sent this um, listing by a number of insiders, Whitehall Vineyards, and I think Judah's going to have photos to put on screen here. We, we don't have to do it right now. I'll just wet their whistle. An asking price of $12 million. $12 million for Whitehall Vineyards, um, $12 million. It went on the market 21 hours ago, so it, it has not even been live for a day. Um, you're looking at a pretty spectacular property, 172 acres. It has a manor house on it, 11 bedrooms and eight baths. When you include the tasting room and the manor house and the... And the uh, the buildings on the property, you're talking 22,685 square feet, 22,685 square feet of, of, of real estate here. I'm going to break down this opportunity for you, the viewer and listener, on today's edition of the I Love Seville Show. Also on today's program, we're going to talk the, uh, this is a concerning headline, more and more Gen Zers are turning to the app TikTok for money and life advice. You are seeing the, and we cover this because I'm very passionate about media on the show, you are seeing the destruction and the um, disappearance and the evisceration of legacy media. And legacy media is an opportunity or was an opportunity for many of us to learn 
about money, about life, about relationship, about politics, current events. And as social media becomes more ubiquitous and approachable, legacy media, radio, television, print is fading away. And now social media, digital media, media you find on your phones is replacing the void, certainly replacing the void for the emerging generation, Gen Z. Heather Hill, just walking by the studio, the former city councilor. See her across the street right there. Um, she's come on the I Love Seville show before. Um, it terrifies me that TikTok influencers, they've also dubbed them fin, finfluencers, financial, influence, financial influencers, fin influencers are now in a lot of ways the point of resource for an emerging generation, Gen Z. We want to unpack that on today's show. We'll talk uh, UPS cutting 12,000 jobs. Goodness gracious. UPS fell short of Wall Street revenue estimates Tuesday, reporting drops in shipping volume, both internationally and domestically, in its fourth quarter earnings report. As a result, the company has announced 12,000 layoffs as part of an effort to align resources in 2024. I'll ask a very straightforward question. Is shipping of packages still done with the same proficiency, still done with the same um, popularity, if you may, as years past? Or are we such a society now that is immersed on screens like phones and iPads, TVs, laptops, and computers, that the need to ship things is not as prevalent prevalent or or prioritized. If you asked our son, our oldest who's in kindergarten, what does he primarily want to do? It's not necessarily play toys or play sports. It's spend time on screens. Who's that walking by right there, Judah Wickhauer? That would be the former mayor. Former mayor, Lloyd (laughs) Snook. So in the last two minutes, we've seen a former councilor, Heather Hill, who Mm -hmm. I believe she was a vice mayor at one time, and a former mayor, current counselor, Lloyd Snook, walked by the studio in the last probably two minutes. So I'm going to ask you this question. If children and Gen Zers, their top priority is screen time, what is that going to potentially do to the shipping business? UPS saying package shipping struggling, and it's announced 12,000 job cuts. I'm going to talk about that on today's program. First, I'm going to weave Judah Wickhauer in on a two-shot. And Judah, we got a, uh, I don't want to call it a tangled web, because a tangled web has connotations of negativity. But I do want to call it a web nevertheless. We're going to try to offer clarity on the web and how the federal government and the American Rescue Plan money that was allocated to Charlottesville during COVID Mm -hmm. is potentially going to fund the Charlottesville Redevelopment Housing Authority's purchase of a building on the downtown mall. I spoke yesterday with a restaurateur, a restaurant owner on the downtown mall. I won't utilize his name. I won't utilize what restaurant he owns. It's a popular one. And he highlighted this, if CRHA does purchase this building on the downtown mall, are the clients or customers of CRHA the ones that fit the business models for the downtown mall currently? 
Yeah. He also highlighted, could this be the potential first stage of an evolution of downtown Charlottesville? Hmm. First, I want to unpack the $4 million. Judah Wickhauer's got a little color and perspective on this, and then I'll take the charge. Judah B. Wickhauer, the show is yours. Your fans, the viewers, and listeners want a little perspective on the American Rescue Plan, my friend. So the American Rescue Plan Act was <clears throat> the, uh, the last federal stimul- stimulus bill um, set up to aid public health and uh, economic recovery from the pandemic. It uh, was released on March 11th of 2021 and uh, was here are uh, I've got a list of the allowable uses. Um, so read them very, very clearly, please. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> allowable uses are supporting public health expenditures by funding COVID-19 mitigation and prevention efforts, medical expenses, behavioral health care, preventing and responding to violence, as well as addressing economic harms to households, small businesses, nonprofits, impacted industries, and the public sector. Uh, it can be used to replace lost public sector revenue, using the funding to provide government services to the extent of the reduction in revenue experienced due to the pandemic. It can be used to provide premium pay for essential workers, offering additional support to those who have borne and will bear the greatest health risks because of their service in critical infrastructure sectors, and to invest in water, sewer, and broadband infrastructure, making necessary investments to improve access to clean drinking water, support vital wastewater and stormwater infrastructure, and to expand access to broadband internet. Now, I've found, I've found evidence that a lot of people have used it for additional means. Uh, so those I don't think are, um, they're not, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you can't, it's not like the money is completely boxed in by those, uh, by those. Regulations, uh, guidelines. Yeah. yeah. And it seems to be fairly uh, fairly open, as long as the uh, as long as the intended use is filed with the government before the end of 2024, and then of course the as I stated earlier, the funds are available to be used as long as they've been uh, registered until the end of 2026. So I don't. It's quite a large window. It's definitely a large window. So the city very much within that window. John Blair, welcome to the show. Olivia Branch, welcome to the show. Logan Wells Kalelo, welcome to the show. I don't think there's <clears throat> I don't think there's any reason to believe what the city is doing with the money is uh is anyway wrong. But I think the a good question would be Why wasn't it spent during COVID when the local economy needed the money to be spent the most? Exactly. Could Isn't that been, a fair question? Could it have been used to help restaurants help uh, struggling businesses um, the question I literally had yesterday with a downtown restaurant tour yeah I know that I mean you know we know we all have seen the uh, the businesses that have gone under in the last few years a significant amount of businesses went under during COVID <coughs> Wild Wing Cafe yeah downtown grill mm-hmm. just to name a couple right. closing their doors during COVID yeah 
Judah Wickhauer came correct today on the Tuesday edition of the I Love Siebel Show. So help me understand this. I'm going to put it in very simplistic terminology and very simplistic commentary for the viewers and listeners. Are you ready? Yeah. Federal government gives money to Charlottesville Mm -hmm. to help Charlottesville during a pandemic. Yeah. Federal government offers a large opportunity, few few strict guidelines, and a large window to spend that money. Mm -hmm. The intention of allocating that money, however, was to help local jurisdictions stimulate, protect, and preserve their, their economies during a pandemic that no one had ever experienced before. Right. Charlottesville took that money from the federal government, did not spend it during COVID to help business or its economy, did not take that money to preserve jobs. I think they may have spent some of the money. Some of the money, no doubt. Not all the money. Yeah. Some remaining. Mm-hmm. Now this money has sat in an account as it sat in an account, the city is considering the purchase of two buildings. We've covered this extremely well. A, one on Avon and one on Levy. A charge led by the city manager. These two buildings in Tony Belmont, prestigious Belmont, affluent Belmont, will become in some kind of way a shelter for the homeless and also um, a place for the homeless for other hand-up instead of handout services provided. Mm-hmm. You would think mental health, you would think drug addiction, alcohol addiction, you would think perhaps resume building opportunities, showers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That $4 million allocated during COVID to the city was not spent for economic stimulus. Instead, it was put in an account. Now it's going to be allocated to the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority. CRHA is going to utilize that $4 million in part to purchase an empty building on the downtown mall it has offered $2,650,000, $2,650,000. The building, as we talked about yesterday, was the home to the old Vita Nova. Yeah. Vita Nova now across the street where the impeccable pig used to be located, the retail store. But it previously was in this building. The and picture's up. And the picture's up of the building. Thank you, Judah Wickhauer, for putting that picture on screen. Everyone look at the screen now. And the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority, two board members have since offered commentary on their plans. The first one is Dr. Wes Bellamy, former city councilor. He is the chair of the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority. He confirms, Dr. Wes Bellamy, that a resolution was drafted by the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority on Monday evening expressing its desire to purchase the property in the downtown mall, and the board passed it Monday night. Dr. West Bellamy quoted following the meeting saying this, quote, it's something that we are looking, it's something that we are looking to be not just a traditional housing authority. We want to be able to be an entity that provides the most possible opportunities to all our residents and help serve and fill some of the needs of the city of Charlottesville as well, end quote. Councillor Michael Payne, who also sits on the board, said this, quote, the hope is to use it both as office space for CRHA and potentially community nonprofits. Michael Payne also highlights that in this building, there are a few existing apartments at the top level that the CRHA could explore into affordable housing units. And at the retail space at the bottom level, they want to use it as a business incubator for small businesses in the community. 
So now the Redevelopment and Housing Authority, this is, I find this, I find this uh, curious, I find this a bit odd. The Redevelopment and Housing Authority is going to sell two buildings, one on Avon and one on Levy. Yeah. Instead of taking those two buildings that are much more likely potential housing, I mean, standalone buildings on Avon and Levy can be converted into housing. A building on the downtown mall that's 20 or 25 feet wide cannot be converted into housing. Right. They're straight up saying we cannot convert this into housing. We can take the few apartments that are on the top level of this and maybe make them affordable housing. But for the most part, it's going to be office space for CRHA and an incubator on the lower level for nonprofits and small businesses. Mm-hmm. So is CRHA now in the business incubation space? I don't know, but I would love to get uh, some affordable housing on the downtown mall. Is CRHA now in the space of incubating business ideas? I sincerely have that question. Does CRHA have the talent and skill set, the human capital, to serve as a legitimate incubator And there are a number of business incubators in this community already. Is that the mission of CRHA? Second, does CRHA need a headquarters on the downtown mall? Third, why sell the buildings, the standalone buildings on Avon and Levy instead of converting them into housing? Next question. Does the city realize that the $4 million it's going to allocate to CRHA for the purchase of Avon and Levy, you have those buildings in the map you can put on screen for Avon and Levy? Does the city and city council realize that part of that $4 million will then be allocated to buy a building on the downtown mall? Next question. Is the city okay with CRHA turning a building on the downtown mall into its headquarters and becoming an incubator? These are questions that must be asked. Next, does this kind of real estate transaction or this kind of web or this kind of uh, cause and effect fit the 10, 15, 20-year vision of what we want the downtown mall to be? Next question, fair question. If CRHA has its headquarters on the downtown mall, are the visitors, the clients and customers of CRHA, the clients and customers of the surrounding businesses on the downtown mall? Very fair question. Next question for you. CRHA, a redevelopment and housing authority, closing at 5 or 5.30 p.m. Monday through Friday and not being open on the weekend, mm-hmm. does that fit the vision of what we want downtown Charlottesville to be. We're basically going to have a building right in the center of downtown Charlottesville that is not going to be open at happy hour or beyond, Monday through Friday. It's going to close at 5 or 5.30. Yeah. And it's not going to be open on the weekend. Yeah. This is a very uh, perplexing, curious, curious turn of events. Deep Throat, his photo on screen, he says, I looked at the, the U.S. Treasury website. God, this guy is, you make the program better, Deep Throat. He's looked at the U.S. Treasury website. He sends me the link, and it looks like 8 million of uh, 
$8 million of funds were allocated to the city through the American Rescue Act. Yeah. That's what you found? Um, not that exact number, but uh, there's a um, – on InfoCville, there is a uh, – this is from uh, Sean Tubbs. Sean Tubbs first was the first – Charlottesville Community Substack was the first to break the news that Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority is looking to purchase this building on the downtown mall. And he has a graph uh, that goes through the uh, how the council has appropriated funds to 39 different projects slash uses that fit into the following reporting categories as defined by the U.S. Treasury. And uh, in the four categories, he's got uh, uh, a little over $2 million for negative economic impacts, uh, about two and a quarter million for public health, 551000 for public health slash negative economic impact for the public sector capacity and uh, close to 13000 for premium pay. So How about this comment from Grayson in North Downtown? Jerry, so Deep Throat says, and you got to trust Deep Throat with what he said, $8 million allocated to the city, and four is being spent from that $8 million for those buildings on Avon and Levy. Does that mean only half was spent during the pandemic? I, I would like to know that answer. Do you, I don't know that answer. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, uh, if, if we got eight, I mean, if they still have $4 million left. And $8 million was given to them from the feds. Yeah. Does that mean only four was spent during COVID? I mean, based on this, uh, the article that Sean Tubbs wrote was from uh, July of 22, and um, and the numbers add up to. I mean, these numbers add up to about uh, close to close to five million. I mean, I I I would like this. I would like this is why it's important to have. Uh, what we do, we do not, Judah and I do not want to be in the business of, of reporting. We want to be in the business of offering commentary and our opinions and our analysis on the reporting. I would love, and perhaps the guy who does this is, what's the gentleman's name? Is it Jason Ernesto? Um, Reynolds Hutchinson is the editor at the Daily Progress. And I believe it's Jason Ernesto, which is the current star reporter, Hall Spencer, could also do this reporting. I would love to hear from the Daily Progress or maybe one of the TV reporters, but I'm not sure this is up their alley. This, could be a, this might be a Sean Tubbs story. I would love to hear from Mr. Sean Tubbs, one of the most talented reporters in the community, the total amount of money from the American Rescue Plan, yeah. the total amount from the feds, how much of that money has been spent, where it was spent, and what percentage this $4 million for the purchase on Avon and Levy represents of the rescue money. Yeah. And I would also ask this question of elected officials, is spending $4 million of American rescue money that was allocated to the city during COVID the best use of the money? Now, a lot of people may realize this, and John Blair, I'm going to get to your comments here in a matter of moments. James Watson, I'm going to get to your comments in a matter of moments as well. 
during COVID and the pandemic, we had a, a, um, we had a revolving door, a revolving door of City Hall. Remember, we had a number of city managers, mm-hmm. including one of our favorites, John Blair. Yeah. We had one city manager who took the job and quit before he even got on the job. Legitimately. Yeah. You, no, for real. I know. <laughs> he took the job and he quit before the first day of the job started. I'd like to, I wonder if anyone's asked him about that. John Blair says this, and I'll, before I get to John Blair's comment, during that period of time, there was a, resolve, a revolving door of leadership, so perhaps that could be a reason of why these funds were not allocated or spent appropriately. But that seems kind of weak in my eyes. Trey Barham, welcome to the show on, on LinkedIn. John says, a fool, put John Blair's photo on screen, a fool and his money are soon parted. Mm-hmm. The idea of influencers is laughable. In the end, for 70% plus of people, the simplest and most effective financial advice is put it in an index fund. That's it. Yet probably less than 20% of Americans really practice this. Probably the single greatest book that you and Judah can read this year is Same as Ever by Morgan Housel. Every single page of that book is amazing. I'm sure Morgan would roll his eyes at the people looking at TikTok for financial advice. No Gen doubt. Zers turning to TikTok for financial advice. We'll get to that on today's talk show. I want to get to James Watson's comment here. The city did grant some federal CARES Act funding to small businesses during the first year of COVID before ARPA came out. Keep in mind that during COVID, Seville had somewhere between three and four different city managers from 2020 to uh, 2022. It's a good comment from James Watson. Let's get James Watson's photo on screen. Key member of the family. Strong comment. Let's get to Vanessa Parkhill. Vanessa Parkhill watching the program, The Queen of Earliesville. The government, the feds, state, etc., make Bernie Madoff look like a rookie when it comes to sleight-of-hand tricks with money. Social Security is the best example. If I understand the basics correctly, at some point, the powers that be decided it would be okay to tap into that big pot of money, our money, that was supposed to be there when we grew old. Now millennials, hell, even Gen Xers, are looking uh, ahead to their retirement and planning for little to no support from Social Security my family included. We have absolutely no confidence that there will be social security there for us. Vanessa Parkhill, strong comment. Ginny Hu on Twitter, we'll get to her, get her photo on screen. She says, here's a great topic for you guys. Charlottesville High School, there's a survey that ends tomorrow on details of hiring the new principal. And she says, part of the UPS cuts are the union deal that cut into profits, but it's also inflation and people not being able to afford what they used to order. Also, people changing their habits is an excellent point made by you guys. Thank you, Ginny Hu. I'm confused why a redevelopment and housing authority thinks it can get into the business incubator space. We counsel business owners on the regular on this talk show. Owning and running a business is brutal. Business incubation is not for everyone. Mm -hmm. There are a number of innovators in this community already. Another number of incubation opportunities in this community already. And I'm most concerned with this. And I'll catch shade for this, but I think it's fair and a lot of people will 
a lot of people will understand this. John brought this up yesterday. What is the future we want of downtown Charlottesville? Yeah. Having a business that closes on at 5 or 5.30, Monday through Friday, and may not be open on the weekend is not conducive to what we want for a pedestrian mall that stays open till 1.30 in the morning. Furthermore, is the clientele that patronizes a redevelopment and housing authority headquarters the clientele that can financially support the businesses that are in downtown Charlottesville? And whether or not they are, is, <clears throat> is that the best place to put it for them? Another question would be, if it's a redevelopment in housing authority, wouldn't they be best served taking the Avon property and the Levy property and creating housing out of existing buildings that are smack dab in the middle of where they want the housing to be? As opposed to selling the existing buildings to buy a trophy property in downtown Charlottesville that does not fit the demographics of their business model. They're trading two existing structures. And isn't the whole thing a for little... For a trophy property. And isn't the whole thing a little incestuous? Another great point. To unpack that for the viewers and listeners. I mean... Judah Wickhauer has come correct today. The, the, the CRHA is basically a, uh, you know, an offshoot of the Charlottesville government, if I'm not mistaken. And so for them to be selling one property to the Charlottesville government and buying another property using money that the, uh, the Charlottesville government has earmarked for purposes seems a little uh, like something is all being done in-house. The, the right hand is giving money to the left hand. There you go. How about these comments from Deep Throat? CRHA, like many housing authorities, has always had pretension of providing wraparound services. They have a Section 3 program with a Section 3 coordinator, which is, HUD, which is a HUD program to steer employment in HUD projects to public housing residents. For several years, CRHA failed to file any reports on Section 3 activity. He exchanged emails with HUD about this. Deep Throat did. And it appears that they have generated jobs over the past several years in the very low single digits. Wow. And he said the idea that CRHA will be an incubator is a joke. You can bet the incubation hmm. money will go to those not needing the incubation. Hmm. Something is very curious here. No doubt. We're just two guys on a podcast with a large following talking about stuff that has raised our peak, peaked our interest. P-I-Q-U-E is, yeah, like. Uh, How would you characterize what this has done to us? It's made us ask why. Yeah. Uh, what, is the, <clears throat> what is the ultimate goal here? And is there actually a plan or is this just kind of a harebrained scheme that, uh, sounded good on, you know, paper to someone. Michael Payne puts this out on Twitter. Exciting news for CRHA. Today at our CRHA board meeting approved acquisition of 310-312 East Main Street. This is a mixed-use building on the downtown mall that used to house Vita Nova Pizza in addition to several other retail spaces, office spaces, and apartments on the top floor. He says the acquisition will allow CRHA to do 
con to consolidate all their offices into one central location. It also allows promoting minority-owned, locally-owned businesses in the downtown mall retail spaces. Finally, the top-floor apartment complexes can potentially be used for affordable housing. Michael Payne says there are five units at the top of the building with a mix of bedroom counts. Making them affordable would require additional subsidy beyond this purchase and renovation. No Without doubt. a request yet for state and or local subsidy from CRHA, the AMI level is unknown. I mean, that's pretty prime real estate for apartments, I would think. It, it, we seem to have square pegs and round holes. Square pegs and a number of holes. And we'll get to the next topic, Whitehall Vineyards being for sale here in a matter of moments. These are the questions that you should be asking, what Judah and I are asking right now. Why trade two buildings for a trophy property in the downtown mall that needs massive renovation? You could take two buildings and convert them into more housing than the housing that this trophy property in the downtown mall offers. Yeah. Furthermore, the upkeep and maintenance of this trophy property in the downtown mall with an elevator in it, if you're going to convert these into retail storefronts, if you're going to convert these apartments into affordable micro units and take the middle part of the building into office space, this is going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not north of a million. This seems odd. And it doesn't even fit the vision of what we want downtown Charlottesville to be. I also think it's odd that the American rescue money was spent in 2024 instead of during COVID. You would, you would think that they could have found something useful for it in the last, you know, even as you mentioned with the, uh, you know, the rotating <clears throat> in and out of, uh, of city managers. Uh, you would think that by now um, they could have found something useful to, uh, to help the city. I mean, would, would, would Robert Sarver and the downtown grill staff have liked the opportunity to expand their outdoor patio at the steakhouse on the downtown mall to three or four X the footprint of what they had to help them make it through COVID when everyone was afraid to eat inside, but willing to eat outside? Downtown Stanton did a great job of that. Mm -hmm. Stanton, Virginia took roads and converted them to dining rooms. Yeah. A number of places. In fact, we championed that idea on the I Love Seville show during COVID. We said, allow the restaurants to open up their dining rooms into public spaces. Did we see that become a reality in the city of Charlottesville? We did not. Not really. We did not. All right, next topic. This is some breaking news. You one shot me, and then we'll go to a two shot for you with some photos um, when I call for them, please, if you can. And Judas come correct today on the I Love Seville show. Back to back days of him being on absolute fire today. Um, Whitehall Vineyards is for sale. This is a spectacular property. This is a farm winery, Sugar Ridge Road in Crozet. The asking price is $12 million. It went on the market less than 24 hours ago. After we're done with this talk show, Whitehall Vineyards will be in the traditional media cycle of print, radio, and television. Just like I said yesterday, after we were done with yesterday's show, that the TV stations and the local media would be talking about the CRHA deal, and it's on CBS 19 now, and I'm hearing the progress is working on the story as well. Um, you are looking at 172 acres here, a $12 million asking price. Um, 
This is a spectacular, spectacular property. Why don't you rotate some of the photos on screen? These photos are courtesy. I'll give props to the listing agent. Richard Walden of Virginia Estates. Richard Walden of Virginia Estates has the listing. There's a lot of real estate agents watching the show right now. Real estate agents are probably just hearing this news right here. Whitehall Vineyards is a spectacular farm winery looking, located at the base of the Blue Ridge Mountains in Whitehall, Virginia, about 14 miles northwest of Charlottesville. Ideal elevation for the production of vinifera grapes in the region on its abundant 40 acres of estate vineyards. Whitehall Vineyards is also part of the Monticello AVA, the wine region that was recently voted the best wine region in the country. A beautiful and relaxing destination for wine lovers and nature enthusiasts alike. This classic stone manor home, are you rotating the photos? Amazing, Judah. This classic stone manor home was architecturally designed and handcrafted <coughs> in 1992. It is situated on a commanding knoll which offers sweeping panoramic views of the encircling mountains of the Shenandoah National Park. The square footage is the combined square feet of the residences and the winery. There are also numerous outbuildings, and the square feet for those is not listed, but please look at the GIS for a complete picture of the property. This property, go back to a one-shot, and then we can go to the photos. This property is being offered in three different ways. The listing for the property, the one I just read, is $12 million and it's for everything. You get everything for $12 million ask. You get the manor house, you get the tasting room, you get the 172 acres, and you get all the outbuildings. The second way this listing is being offered is for $8,500,000 asking. And for the $8,500,000 ask, you get the winery and the 172 acres. The third option, the most affordable one, is for 37 acres at $4.75 million, and it's just the main residence, just the manor house. The listing agent is quick to highlight that both the smaller offerings, the $8.5 million and the $4.75 million, are contingent on Albemarle County approval. I mean, this is a trophy property, dude. This is a trophy, gorgeous property. You can rotate the photos back on screen. This is breaking news. This will appeal to, I mean, I can, I can realistic, realistically and conservatively say that this will appeal to a potential global buyer. This will appeal to anyone trying to get into the wine game. And that's a lot of people. Got some uh, off-the-record commentary coming in from a parent in Almaro County. Jerry, please keep this anonymous, please. This is not, is not from Deep Throat. This particular parent says, Highland Ridge, which is adjacent to and connected to Cascadia, goes to Stony Point Elementary. Highland is closer to Stone Robinson than Cascadia. Wow. Let's see how the Cascadia parents, parents respond to redistricting potential. What would you, would you buy this, Judah? 
Yeah. If I had the money, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Any concerns about the saturation of the space? Uh, you mean saturation of uh, vineyards in yeah. the area? Yeah. And here's a follow-up question to this. Is, are the concerns with saturations of vineyards and wineries synonymous or on the same level of concerns of the saturation of craft beer? Or is the vineyard winery space much broader and larger and willing to have deeper competition than craft beer? I think one of the, the benefits of, uh, <clears throat> of wineries and vineyards is that uh, it, doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to go towards a, uh, uh, a, a winery. What I'm trying to say is that the, the grapes can be used in a variety of purposes. So owning a vineyard, I, I'm pretty sure there is a market for the grapes, even if you're not using them yourself, uh, to uh, to turn it into a you know a wine product. Um, I'll say this: I'm less concerned about saturation in wineries and vineyards for mm-hmm. this primary reason. Wineries and vineyards, for the most part, have a secondary revenue stream that might actually be their primary. And you know what that is? Um, I don't. Viewers and listeners, you know what that is? Weddings and events. A wedding and event venue Mm -hmm. that moonlights as a vineyard and winery is a very legitimate model. And if you can capture the $200,000, dollars $500,000 and up wedding business that's prevalent in this community. Some have said we're the largest wedding destination on the East Coast, second to Charleston. Then you can make a living just as a venue. This is what the Wool Factory has done a fantastic job. Hmm. Selvage Brewery is moving from the Wool Factory and Woolen Mills to a cross Boarshead Resort and the old Grit Coffee Roastery yeah. because so many weekends... Weddings had booked the wool factory out, which caused the closure of Selvage Brewery. Eventually, the owners of Selvage and the wool factory got entrepreneurial even more, fantastic business people they are, and said, if we're constantly losing our weekend business for Selvage, let's find another location and let's have sales driven even harder for booking the weekends at the wool factory while also taking the revenue from Selvage across from Borset on Ivy Road. Genius. Mm-hmm. If you're to purchase Whitehall Vineyards and you're anywhere near the 12 million bucks, I would bet your number one priority would be wedding and event bookings and driving incremental closings and sales and revenue through that line of business. Your second priority, probably the tasting room. I think it would require a considerable amount of money to. Uh create the spaces needed for weddings, but if you're buying a $12 million property... They already got it set up. They already have... It's already set up. Oh, they have a wine... They got a I tasting mean, room a, already uh, set up and the opportunity for weddings and events. I know they've got the tasting room. Oh, 
Oh, Neil Williamson's got some great commentary. For what it's worth, Virginia Farm winery permits do not transfer and must be applied for by new owners. Neil Williamson is offering fantastic commentary. And he's one of the uh, principals, one of the owners of um, Well Hung Vineyards. Mm-hmm. Very stuff, very good stuff from Williamson. I did not know that. Virginia Farm winery permits do not transfer and must be applied by new owners. The content slingers educating the audience, the president of the Free Enterprise Forum. And then he shares a link from a 2016 story from the Free Enterprise Forum. What is the nut graph of this that I should explain, that I should relay here, uh, Neil Williamson, to the viewers and listeners? Obviously, the impact of wedding and events in this community and tourism in totality, some would say is a top three, top four driver. We know that government contracting, well, I take that back. The University of Virginia is the number one driver of the economy in Central Virginia. Mm -hmm. Neil, what did we decide when you were on Real Talk with Keith Smith that the number two driver of the economy locally was government contracting, the spies, the injects, the... uh, uh, Northrop Grumman's, I think the white paper commissioned by Albemarle County, the city of Charlottesville, and the Chamber of Commerce positioned it as a $1.2 billion mm. driver of the economy, if memory serves correct. Let's yeah. say that's in the two slot. Is the three slot, Sir Neil Williamson, tourism, wedding and events leading that charge? Maybe the fourth slot, real estate, drivers of the economy here in Charlottesville and Central Virginia? I did not know that about the, the, the permits not transferring. That's great comment, great content right there. This is a big-time trophy property that's on the market. And I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I'm going to say this anyway. 172 acres, over 22,000 square feet, a manor house and a tasting room, and these kind of views and this kind of positioning, the $12 million ask... That seems in the wheelhouse. According to Zillow, the estimated monthly payment, if you're needing to get a mortgage for this, which I can't imagine anyone getting a mortgage for this. This looks like an all-cash buyer to me. But Zillow says the estimated monthly payment is 75G. 75G sounds like an astronomical amount, but that's like a weekend. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, we're hearing through the grapevine, Pippin Hills routinely in the 300000 400000 500000 and up for a wedding at Pippin. Interestingly, you know who the sales manager for events and weddings at Pippin Hill is? You got this, Judah. You got this, Judah. Who's Do the I? sales manor, manager? Who's driving the sales at Pippin, Vineyard, at Pippin Hill Vineyards? Is there a reason I, wish I should know this? You should know this. It's a key member of the Charlottesville ecosystem. I'll give you another um, hint in five seconds. Uh, was it the former manager of, um, of Commonwealth, uh, the event space? No, sir. No. Were you talking about Aaron King? Or yeah. Robert? No, not Aaron King. Aaron King's at Feast. I think she's watching the program right oh, now. that's right. I think she's a fantastic businesswoman. I'll give you a second hint. Tell me when you're ready. Go ahead. This is a huge hint. Elected official. Really? Female elected official. I'm not supposed to say female. Woman oh, 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 uh, elected official. 
Yeah. The viewers and listeners are screaming in their cars Na- right now. Na- Judah! Na- Natalie Oshren. Natalie Oshren. That's right. Natalie Oshren. Driving the quarter million dollar and up sales at Pippin. 12 million bucks for Whitehall. Damn. I, I mean, it seems like that would be more than in the wheelhouse. Um, John Blair. He's got a second comment. I'm curious about the entire concept of a business incubator for the retail space. Business incubators are usually found in the tech space. Maybe Deep Throat can comment on this. Yeah, John, that's a great point. This is a great, I should have highlighted this point. Let me respond to that. This is a fantastic point. Payne, who's not a business person, he, before being an elected official, Michael Payne worked for Habitat for Humanity, I believe in a part-time capacity. Payne says this. This is a great point. Let me get the exact quote so I'm not messing up here. Okay, Judah? Yeah. Payne says, where's the quote? Here it is. Their hope is to use it as both office space for CRHA and potentially community nonprofits. There's some existing apartments at the top level of the building, and they would explore using those units for affordable housing. But the bottom retail space they would want to use as kind of a business incubator for small businesses in the community. What, isn't a, what is a business incubator for retail? So you're saying that the the retail space downstairs would be kind of rotated between businesses to give them a chance to start? Yeah, John Blair says this. No, excuse me. Deep Throat on Twitter responds to John Blair on LinkedIn. I think John Blair asked the right question. You can incubate in many different industries, though tech is the most common, but no incubator, regardless of industry, wants to be an old pizza parlor space, a half-story underground... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how is that usually I, I fail to see how that would help a, a good portion of businesses that would eventually have to move out and find their own space I mean if you want to if, if you want to incubate your business idea you don't incubate your business idea in a former pizza parlor in the basement of an antiquated building. You incubate your business idea at the farmer's market. You incubate your business idea in a pop-up store. I mean, I could understand it being... You incubate your business idea with a, fire, with a social media e-commerce website. If the Vita Nova ovens are still in there... No, Vita Nova oven, not there. Oh, they took them out? Oh, yeah. I know the Vita Nova guys really well. Louis, the guy who's always working Vita Nova pizza... He's my boy. Mm-hmm. Me and Louie go way back. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's a great guy. You know the one I'm talking about? It's Louie and his dad who are always there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He's the guy that's the outgoing social you know, guy. His dad's often in the back, a little quieter, getting the pizzas prepped. Yeah. And then they have a fantastic uh, Hispanic lady that occasionally works there as well. Yeah. Yeah, they're both great guys. All great guys. I love that business. I think they make some of the best pizza in town. Mm-hmm. The pepperonis to die for. He says... Uh, 
I'm also skeptical of the apartments at the top. There are no residential units at, the, at that address in the city's mad... God, this is such good commentary, dude. Listen to this. This is not me. This is number one in the family. Number one and number two in the family, very, very much making the show better today. Number one says, I'm also skeptical of the apartments on the top. There are no residential units at, the, at that address in the city's master address table. So either the table that our first responders use is wrong, which is terrifying, or Michael Payne is mistaken. I'm not going to read your last two bubbles, Deep Throat. Laughing out loud, these last two comments. I'm not going to read those. Routinely trying to get me in trouble. Vanessa Parkle says, Judah, her initials are N-O. We got it, Natalie Osherin. (laughs) Todd Raff says, our area was the wine region of the year globally. Sorry, I stand corrected. Someone should tell the listing agent. The listing agent... um, not trying to throw shade at you, Richard Walden of Virginia Estates, phone number 434-981-5923. But your listing that I read on air said that you were the best wine region in the United States. Says your listing is the best wine region in the United States. Uh, listing agent Richard Walden. It's actually, according to Todd Raff, the owner of the Blue Toad Hard Cider. And I can also con- confirm because he's exactly right. Um, it's the wine region of the year globally by wine enthusiasts in 2023. The world, not just USA. Todd Raff, the owner of Blue Toad Heart Cider, says in the comment section. So listing agent uh, Richard Walden, you need to update that, please. Um, all right, a couple more items out of the notebook. This show's been good today. The UPS is cutting 12,000 jobs. Ginny Hu says it's important to point out that the layoffs are management positions. And part of it is the union deal. The union deal is cutting into profits, but it's also inflation and people not being able to afford what they used to from a packaging and delivery and gift standpoint. She said what you and Judah said about people changing their habits is an excellent point, too. I'm going to ask you a very straightforward question. My wife and I have two sons. Granted, one of them is, is just 14 months old uh, and still putting his, his, his boogers in his eye and uh, sucking a pacifier. And You know what? I have some positive news. Our 14-month-old son is now officially off of formula. Nice. Sunday night was his last bottle feed before bed. Hmm. You know how much the formula was costing us a week? And it was not the traditional formula. It was the lactose intolerant formula. He's got the lactose, which is weird because his dad chugs skim milk by the gallon every two days. And his older brother chugs skim milk by the half gallon every two days. We're going through a gallon and a half of skim milk every two to three days. My niece had uh, was lactose intolerant for like a year, year and a half. He's now, been, and, and now she's fine. He's got the lactose for 14 months. You know how much the lactose has been costing us mm. for 14 months? 75 bucks a week. Oof. Almost 80 bucks a week. And you try finding the lactose formula, lactose-free formula, you're going to like three or four different grocery stores if you're not ordering in bulk online. Yeah. So an additional 75 bucks a week in, 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 in revenue, 70 times times 75 times... 
let's call it uh, 52 plus two months, 60, let's call it 64, 5G in formula for our 14-month-old. That's a good chunk of money. Yeah. So he's off the formula. That's great. Now, if he can get at 14 months old out of the pampers, that would be even better. <laughs> but I think that's asking too much of the little guy. Probably. Probably. Anyway, this is where I'm going with this before I got distracted. When you're talking to your children, what is it your kids want for their birthday or for Christmas? Your kids want items associated with screens. You're talking about games and apps and things that you just purchase on the... Yeah, I mean... It's not toys anymore. It's not toys. My mother-in-law is one of the most generous people I've ever met in my life. And she, with her first grandchild, our oldest son has spoiled our son with multiple, with basically a Toys R Us in our house. And I mean that. And it's incredibly generous and just, she's so kind. Mm -hmm. In the grand scheme of things, our oldest son, if he had a Toys R Us in his house, which he does, or an iPad or one of our iPhones, he would gravitate to the iPad or one of our phones over the Toys R Us in our house. So I asked this question, what is the future of human behavior when it comes to shipping? Is the future of shipping going to get impacted by the fact that we are so immersed in screen time as adults and as children and certainly the emerging generations that are heading into adulthood, Gen Z, Gen Z grew up addicted to screen time. You got the generational chart, right? You can put on screen? Yeah. God, it's a good thing you saved that generational chart. I swear, I think we reference the generational chart like once a week, don't we? Something like that. When's Gen Z start? Gen Z starts in 1997. 1997. So Gen Z in 97 is... What, 27 years old? About to turn 27? Yeah. At the oldest. Is about the geriatric Gen Zers are 27. Yeah. The youngest Gen Zers are? Uh, let's see, 2012, so 12. You talk to a 12-year-old, all a 12-year-old wants to do is screen time. 27-year-olds grew up with screens. Yeah. What's that going to do to shipping and packaging and the supply chains associated with them? I mean, is that really going to impact it that much? People still are going to be buying things. Still, people are still going to buy clothes. In fact, I would think that uh, with the uh, the negative impact that uh, <clears throat> easy access to to mobile phones and tablets and computers has had on uh, on brick and mortars, that uh, you know people have been ordering more than more than ever before. Uh, could it? I mean. Could it just be a slump after, after the Christmas season? Oh, maybe you can attribute it to inflation. Maybe you can attribute... No, because this is fourth quarter. Oh. This is fourth quarter. 
Yeah, well, I would I'll read the first paragraph from CNBC. UPS fell short of Wall Street revenue estimates Tuesday, reporting drops in shipping volume, both internationally and domestically, in its fourth quarter earnings report. Hmm. I mean, I could definitely see it being, uh, you know, whether, whether people are just trying to pack more stuff into one box or, uh, or ordering less on, you know, having less money to spend on, on Christmas presents. I think it's less money to spend, a sign of inflation. Yeah. I think it's a sign of credit card debt. I think it's a sign of the dollar is having to be stretched as far as possible. I also think it's a sign of toys not having the same glamour that they used to have. Think about when you see kids around town, just look at what kids are doing, their body habits. I, I like to study human behavior. Call me a, so, a social voyeur, if you may. I'm constantly trying to study human behavior. And when you're watching, hell, watch freaking parents. Have you heard of this thing called TexNeck? Uh, TexNeck, yeah. TexNeck. <laughs> Where you end up going to the chiropractor because you're... Uh... You're hunched over. Yeah. One of my buddies I play squash with, he's a Darden student, probably excels at, has excelled at everything he's ever done. He's about to head to... Uh, let's see if he's watching. I would love if he's watching the program right now. Heading to Wall Street after, his, after he's graduating from uh, Darden. Getting a, getting a quarter million dollar job. Coming out a quarter million dollars in debt. I've talked about him in the past. He's mm-hmm. coming out of Darden. He was a teacher and a squash coach in high school. Excuse me. He went to Princeton. Played baseball at Princeton. Came out of Princeton after playing on the varsity baseball team. And went to an elite private school in the Northeast. I won't say which one. Where he was a teacher and the school's squash coach. And then he is now about to graduate from Darden School. He's a fantastic human. Mm-hmm. I hope he hears this. A fantastic human. Kicks my ass in squash, unfortunately. And he has a job lined up. Basically a quarter million dollars. Going to go to the Northeast. He understands he's going to be working 80, 85 hours a week. Coming out a quarter million dollars in debt tied to Darden. interest rate. We were watching the last time we played. There was a big-time squash tournament over at MacArthur. And we were watching some of these uh, kids that were playing in these squash tournaments. This was uh, an elite-level tournament. I forget the exact uh, terminology. I think it's called JCT. There are six of these type of tournaments a year. I hope I'm getting this right. I think I'm getting this right. There are six of these tournaments a year. And there just happened to be one here at Borsat. And the kids that were playing in this tournament, we noticed, he noticed, I didn't notice, he noticed this. He said, what do you notice with these kids that you don't see with other kids that you watch walking around? And I said, tell me. He said, they have earbuds in. Hmm. They're not holding their phone, looking down at their screen with their shoulders slumped. The content that they're taking in from their phones is through their ears and through their earbuds. And if you notice these kids that are playing, they have their shoulders back as opposed to their shoulders slump. Their heads are held up higher Hmm. and they look more straight in their posture than other kids we see around. And when he pointed that out to me, I was like, oh my God, he's right. These kids, because their top 
in their sport in the country. They don't have time to be immersed with content with their shoulders down, hunched over. So how they're getting their content is through their ears while they're playing their sport. And as a result, their entire structure of their body is different than some of the other kids that we see hunched, old, hunched over shoulders down. I am, as a parent, this is what I, my wife and I talk about this. As a parent, and this is down the road because our oldest is just about to turn six, six years old. I'm terrified, I'm terrified, terrified, terrified of fentanyl. Of what? Fentanyl. Yeah. When it comes to our children. A, a flake of fentanyl could kill a kid. I'm terrified of fentanyl. And the, More than just a kid. In the real time, right now, I'm terrified of this drug that we call screen time addiction. And how it's changing children for the worse. Terrified of it. Yeah. And, and I, I think that change of children's mindset, their DNA, like how they go about it, is going to start impacting, if it already has, shipping patterns. Hmm. Kids don't want... You ask a kid what he wants or what she wants. It's not, get me, some, get me a football or a tennis racket or a baseball glove or a baseball bat... Or get me like, uh, you know, magnet tiles. Or get me some Tonka trucks. Or get me some matchbox cars. Or get me like, you know, help me out here. Instead is, I want you to get me, download this app for me. Or get me my own iPhone. Yeah. Or an iPad. Those are little tiny things. You don't even ship those things. Why would you ship that? You just go pick it up. Would you ship a $1,000 iPhone or would you hand deliver it? And how about this new headline? This perfectly coexists with what we're talking about. This, I mean, this is terrifying. Between girl math, loud budgeting, and catch and cash stuffing, the trendiest financial advice is increasingly born on TikTok. This is from CNBC. Man. Now it's one of the most popular sources for financial information, TikTok. Tips and advice, particularly among Generation Z. The hashtag FinTalk, representing just the financial TikTok community, has more than 4.7 billion views on the platform. 4.7 billion with a B. In fact, Gen Zers are nearly five times more likely to say they get financial advice, including stock tips from social media, than adults in their 40s or older, according to CreditCards.com report. Young investors, especially those aged 18 to 25, look to so-called finfluencers for money-saving or money-making wisdom and other research. Other research also shows. Listen to this. With less access to professional advisors and a preference for obtaining information online, Gen Zers are more likely than any other generation to engage with finfluencer content on TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram, according to a recent report by the CFA Institute. What? Can you help me understand that? People go to the internet for all their information now. I don't know if they think that... I don't know if there's a... Uh, I don't know if there's a uh, model for sussing out the, the good information from the bad information. That's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem I have. That's, the pro that's my main concern. 
when you're impressionable and you're absorbing the content, how are you able to vet yeah. which content is <clears throat> legit and which is not? Right. It's not all roaring kitty or deep effing value. Yeah. It's folks, I mean, that terrifies the bejeebus out of me. Carly Wagner watching their program. Let's get her photo on screen. What's her power ranking number? Let me check. Carly is, oh, number three in the power pool. One, two, and three, and four, and five, and six have all commented today. It's been a fantastic show. Fantastic show. She says this. Where did it go? As parents, we have the right to say flat out no to screens. My 10-year-old wanted virtual reality goggles for Christmas because he wanted to know what it felt like to fly, fly like Iron Man. I flat out told him no. Even if Santa brought it, we won't allow him to have it. He cried. He was heartbroken. We talked about how we want him in our reality and to be making actual memories that we won't ever be doing video games and such, except for Mario Kart for N64 on rare occasions. Instead, we got him a little four-wheeler. He loves it. He spent all Christmas Day reading the owner's manual, and he uses it out in the woods for hours. Helps nice. keep our property clear, too. I pray the world moves away from screens fast. Amen. Amen. Praise Jesus. Amen. I pray the world moves away from screens. How, though? Screens are the 2024 version of sugar. Screens are the 2024 version of fentanyl. It's easy content. There's lots of it. I mean, there's... I, I can't even imagine how much content there is now. I tell the story, literally, my son could be sitting right where you are. And I could say, what did I say? When, when, what he loves? Uh, son, I have all the cookies you want right next to me. Come over here. You can eat all the cookies you want. You want all the ice cream and milkshakes and Skittles. It was Skittles. I used Skittles. <laughs> he loves Skittles. He was sitting three feet away from me. I'm screaming, and I'm not going to scream to hurt the viewers and listeners' ears. I'm saying... He's on YouTube in a black hole watching crap like other people play video games. Son, do you want all the Skittles you can want? If you just look at me right now, you can have all the purple Skittles, all the grape Skittles in the world. I have them in my pocket. You can eat till you're sick. All the Skittles you want. And he didn't even hear me. Yeah. That's drugs. That is drugs. Anything you want to add on the program? I agree. It's, uh, it's, it's like your entire uh, <clears throat> your entire focus becomes that tiny little square of t tiny little rectangle of light, and, uh, and the irony is we're utilizing. Yeah, at yeah, least we, we're trying to do it for educational purposes. We use them, and everybody uses them, and and I think it's uh, it's just as harmful for adults as it is for kids. We just uh, we're I think our wiring is at this point, some protection, uh, whereas younger people are growing up to be wired. Uh, That's what my concern is. That yeah. is the, right there, what you just said. Yeah. Um, but, Todd, go ahead. But, but that doesn't mean that we're, that doesn't mean that we're immune to the, uh, to the pull of, of the, the bright, uh, the bright rectangle. The dopamine hit. Yeah. It's a dopamine hit. Mm -hmm. that, it's the same high that you get. It's a dopamine hit, an instantaneous dopamine hit. 
Todd Raff said FedEx ditched Amazon a while ago. UPS got married. Now Amazon expand is expanding their own delivery network without expensive UPS. Good commentary from the king of cider, Todd Rath. Is Todd Rath on the power pole rankings? Oh my gosh, Todd Rath is not so. on there. Let's see. Oh, Todd Rath is on there. Thirty-one really? in the power poles. Can we get Todd Rath's photo on screen? Number thirty-one in the power pole, Todd Rath. He needs oh, to climb there the ladder. Here we go. We got Todd's photo on screen. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Todd. Hey, the program better, Todd. All right, that's the uh, Tuesday edition of the I Love Seville Show. We went an hour and 17 minutes without commercial break, without stopping. No one else is creating content like this. No one. Not a single person in Central Virginia. This is, uh, this is interesting, too. Uh, the the 12,000 is a lot of people that are losing their jobs. But uh, in 2022, UPS had 536,000 employees. That puts things in a little bit well, of perspective. Well, 2022, you know what they were doing. Capitalize on shipping everywhere. Capitalize on the fact that people were, what we call it, when you're forced to stay in your house. Uh, lockdown? Yeah. Government made us on lock, put us on lockdown. All we were doing was shipping stuff to our house. All right. That's fair. That's the talk show. Judah Wickhauer was on point. Job, you were on fantastic, one of your best shows yet. Thank you. Do these shows every single time, please. Can you duplicate whatever the secret sauce you utilize for today's show on every other show moving forward? Well, I had uh, four He says, or... yes, absolutely, I'm going to do it. <laughs> Thank you, Judah, for saying that. I can't wait to see what you bring tomorrow. My name is Jerry Miller. For Judah Wickhauer, this is the I Love Sebo Show. So long, everybody. <laughs>